0: Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, which is our weekly podcast. By our, in this case, I mean mine and Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of the partners at Fleming and Curdy, and my partner in this podcast enterprise. Elizabeth, I'd like to talk about education today and particularly about 529 plans five twenty nine of course refers to the section of the Internal Revenue Code that allows states to set up uh, prepaid educational programs. There are a couple of other kinds of educational programs that uh, that are tax favored, like Coverdell accounts. but most of the money that goes into education plans, in our experiences in 529 plans. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about them and some of the rules around them.
1: And Robert, one thing I want to note for our listeners is that we have done a, a podcast, and there are several newsletters on our website already about 529A plans and accounts. Uh, that means the ABLE Act account. Um, this is something that we've sp- spoken um, on the podcast about, and I think. Many, many listeners identify the ABLE Act accounts as a, as a wonderful thing. Those are also a form of a savings account for somebody who has a disability. And so when we look at where where the 529 plan and 529A fall under the Internal Revenue Code, it isn't in the same section. They're, they're actually right beside each other. And my understanding is that the, the ABLE Act accounts and 529A came from the idea of a 529 plan, uh, savings account for education. Is that correct?
0: It is correct. The, uh, the original idea behind the ABLE Act was, um, okay, I can set aside money for my child for their education, but but my child, my other child, has a disability and is never going to go to college. Why can't I set aside money for them? And and that's that was the genesis of the 529A. So when we talk about 529 plans, which is what we're going to do today, not ABLE Act accounts, people who are familiar with ABLE Act accounts might recognize some of the elements because they did borrow heavily although they changed a lot of things and so there's some some ways in which people who are familiar with ABLE Act accounts might be surprised by what you can do and can't do in a 529 plan.
1: So Robert, I want to talk broadly about 529 plans because we frequently see people come in to do their estate planning and they have either already established a 529 plan for a child or grandchild, or they wanna be very specific in their estate plans and leave money for a 529 plan. Um, They want to use a 529 plan rather than, say, a trust for the benefit of a grandchild. So that's often how I see these topics come up. On occasion, I will handle a probate or a trust administration where the 529 plan the custodian will realize that the person who died was actually administering the plan and there is no successor administrator and then the custodian whether that's fidelity or um, Vanguard or any, any of these other 529 accounts will say, well, who is then going to step into the decedent's shoes to manage the money until the beneficiary is of an age or, or may use the resources? So people should know 529 plans, one of the things about them is as it's often understated how important it is to choose a successor to administer the plan if you are disabled or incapacitated or die before all the money in the fund is is spent that's often i think one of those things that custodians don't talk about when you set up these accounts robert
0: right and actually i want to take a step back you talk about vanguard or fidelity or some other financial institution let's talk a little bit about where 529 plans uh, are housed you can't just go down to your corner bank and and open up an account and call it a 529 account the, the federal law that created um, the, the Section 529 itself, says, uh, okay, states, you are permitted to create these plans state by state. A few states have, have created several of them. Most states have created one of them. A couple of states have just signed on to another state's plan, but there are 60 or 70 different kinds of 529 plans out there. A key element of this is that you don't have to use the state plan where you live or where your child or grandchild or whomever you're trying to benefit lives. You can use any of those accounts out there. So um, that that puts a premium on trying to understand which plan looks best to you for the particular kind of way you want the plan to be administered
1: and robert when we look at the different ways to administer a plan there are sets of rules that um, have been changing more recently so that you can use money in a 529 plan for something like a tuition expense for somebody who might be going to a private school in fifth grade um, there's now a whole set of rules for k through 12 before somebody would go off to say a a college program it's important i think to when you're considering where to open a 529 plan to think about both the administrative costs of the custodian, what you'll be charged for the ongoing maintenance of the plan, the, the funds, and how they can be invested. Most of the time, there is very little that somebody who is funding a 529 plan can do as far as ongoing management. It's not like you can put a mix of securities into a 529 plan and manage them yourself. Most of the times, a custodian, the person Um, excuse me, the entity that will be holding and managing the money, they will have a different kind of menu of investment options for the 529 plan. But unlike your own funds in your brokerage account, you're really not going to be able to pick and choose the same way.
0: Right. You can't invest in individual stocks, but you might be able to choose a more or less aggressive investment mix, depending on how old the, the beneficiary of the plan is.
1: And Robert, can we talk a little bit about the idea of qualified versus non-qualified distributions from a 529 plan?
0: Sure. So the money you put in a, in a 529 plan um, is, not, is not federally deductible on your income tax, and it is not income to the beneficiary, but it grows inside the 529 plan without paying any income tax. And if distributions are made for a qualified education expense, then nobody ever pays the tax on the earnings inside the plan. Uh, so what's a qualified educational expense is kind of the key. And as you alluded to, Elizabeth, until pretty recently, the general answer was it had to be either tuition or books or direct um, education expenses for someone in, uh, in, in a higher education, in a college-level setting. Uh, it was recently changed to include some private non Secondary, that is to say, primary care, uh, primary education choices. But it's still primarily focused on secondary education.
1: And Robert, that does include one of the plans that we've been working with with a beneficiary here um, having to do with housing, actually, mm-hmm. um, and room and board. One thing that that I've spent some time looking at is that the penalty, if you are going to make a non qualified distribution, there's really a two step penalty to, to do the calculation. You'll have to include the earnings portion of the distribution as taxable income, and you'll also have to pay an extra 10% penalty on the earnings. So what this means is, is that if you have a plan where, let's just say, you put in a dollar and the dollar grew to $10, this was incredible tax-free growth, this is great. But if all of a sudden you decide to make a non-qualified distribution... To help your,
0: help your grandson buy a first house, for instance. Right.
1: Um, you're going to be penalized. And one of the things that people need to do and really think about before withdrawing funds is to speak to your CPA or a CPA who's familiar with 529 plans. Um, I'm not trying to do this to scare people away from non-qualified distributions, but I am raising this issue, Robert, because sometimes the penalty, when we really look at it, is not that significant. However, if you have a scenario where there has been a lot of growth a lot of growth then you're gonna to have to to make sure that you factor that in when you when you look at the tax issues this is not something that you can do on um, you know the back of a napkin this is actually something you want to slow down and, and ask a CPA for some advice on the reason being Robert once you take the money out you can't put it back in right
0: it is a it's a finalized decision you can however, Uh, You know, suppose that you've set aside a 529 plan for each of your children or each of your grandchildren, and it turns out that one of them is never going to go to college, never going to use the private school, um, and and it's going to be expensive to cash that money in. Well, one choice you have is to change the beneficiary of the plan. You could change it to one of the children who went to an expensive college and needs more additional help. Now, is that fair among your children or your grandchildren? Well, no, it might not be. You might need to make up the contribution uh, for the child who is instead going to go to a, a trade school and, and start earning money right out of high school uh, and, and, um, and ought to be encouraged in that way. Uh, so you, you can accommodate those things by changing the beneficiary if you are the custodian. And, and that raises the question, when you set up a 529 plan, Who should be the custodian of the plan. I want to benefit my grandsons, uh, and in fact, just to be completely transparent, I have set up 529 plan accounts for my two grandsons. They're six and eight. By the way, I know that their other grandparents have also set up 529 plans, and there's nothing that prohibits a dozen different people from setting up 529 plans. There's no dollar limit on the contributions, uh, the, the cumulative contributions of everybody.
1: And so, Robert, when you use this your personal example, we, you, we are using the word custodian in this podcast today to talk about the banking institution. I think what you just gave as an example, the owner of the plan is different in each of those cases. There's a whole lot of jargon that I've picked up now with right. these 529 plans. And so... In, in a case where you have an owner, keep in mind, your owner can be an individual or a trust, and many 529 plans will allow a trust to be the owner of the 529 plan. Being the owner of a 529 plan is different than being the beneficiary of a 529 plan.
0: Exactly. And you're right. I, I used custodian loosely because I was thinking of Uniform Transfer to Minors Act accounts in which custodian is the person who's holding the money for the benefit, not the institution. Uh, and and in the 529 plan cons- context, usually custodian means the institution where the money is. So I've set up these accounts for my, my grandsons. Who should be the owner? Well, it would make sense for our daughter, the mother of our grandsons, and maybe her husband, our son-in-law, to be the custodian because they're going to be around for certain through the uh, through the college education of my grandsons. But then, then we get into the FAFSA. Oh, everybody loves the FAFSA. The FAFSA is the form that you have to fill out in order to get uh, government assistance including loans, not just grants, for your education and if your parents are the custo- I'm sorry, parents are the owners of a 529 plan, then it gets listed on the FAFSA. Since I'm the owner of, of my grandson's 529 plan, it doesn't show up on the FAFSA. Their benefits will presumably be better by virtue of not having this massive 500, 529 plan, which I started to say 500, that's about what it has in it.
1: So, Robert, one, one idea for you and for Rhonda might be that after naming yourselves personally as the owners, the co-owners, you might name your trust as the successor owner, which would allow your successor trustee to help manage this plan for the benefit of your grandson. And we see most of the cases that come into Fleming and Curdy where the owner is a trust and we are acting as trustee, managing the funds and making distribution um, decisions with the 529 plan. So I would just tell anybody listening today who's considering a 529 plan or who's arm wrestling with a 529 plan, give us a call, come in, let's talk about it. Um, these are plans that are full of rules. They can be absolutely fantastic devices to save for college or educational expenses, but I think that they're often misunderstood, and we, ought, we see financial advisors sell these plans all the time, but they may, may not actually think about the application or the administration of the plan.
0: You know, you say there are a lot of misunderstandings, and I just want to highlight one before we leave this topic, and that is how much you can put into a 529 plan. Most state plans have maximum dollar amounts in the 300 to 500 thousand dollar range, so you know it's a pretty generous number. There is an income tax, I'm sorry, a gift tax uh, consequence if you put more than five times the uh, the annual exclusion amount which is currently $15,000. So five times that is 75000 If you put more than $75,000 in, in the year that you start up the plan, or for that matter, in any given year, then you may have a gift tax consequence, which doesn't necessarily mean paying a gift tax. So if you're thinking, I really want to set aside a lot of money for my grandchild because she's going to Harvard to Harvard Medical School um, you can do it. You can set aside a significant amount of money in a 529 plan, and it's a pretty attractive option.
1: Well, thanks, Robert. I learned a few new things today.
0: And so did I. Uh, I know you're working, you're, you're hip deep in a 529 plan administration right now.
1: A so. couple of them, actually.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you've been listening to Elder Law Issues. Now, what is, uh, what is Elder Law about college education? Uh, one word, grandparent. So you've been listening to Elder Law Issues with me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. And we kind of hope that you'll join us again next week when the law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm, will bring Elder Law Issues back to you for our next podcast. Thanks. Bye.